0: I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Let's pray. Father, thank you for another day of life in your house. And Father, thank you for all the Christians that have come here this morning to encourage me and everyone else here. And Father... Help us to continue to worship you with our spirit and to worship you truly and be with Dennis as he speaks to us today, that we can hear things that you want us to hear and understand things that you want us to understand. These things we pray through your son, Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Well, I sure am looking forward to spring, aren't you? Get rid of this snow and this cold and all this terrible roads and such. But uh, well, I'm glad you're here this morning, as Steve has mentioned. I am preaching this morning. You probably came to hear Steve. Um, two different people. I'm not going to use the multiverse of voices that you normally hear up here. <laughs> But I will try to produce for you a, a lesson of some thought and some, some uh, benefit to you spiritually. I don't know that I can communicate like others can. I just know I have a heart too. And uh, I pray that this morning that you will be patient with me as we go through this and uh, observe the things and understand uh, the heart of the lesson. You notice the screen up behind me. And how many of you have seen the movie The Sum of All Fears? Maybe you don't remember, it's got Morgan Freeman in it, and in it a particular nuclear bomb is set, I think it's in a Washington, D.C. sports facility, and it finally goes off in that particular movie. Uh, To me, one of my favorite movies. I love Morgan Freeman when he's acting and not telling me about God, Uh, but I I love some of his movies that he's in. But it's not about his movie this morning, Uh, so uh, it'll be about other things in relationship to that. In 1962, I was introduced to kindergarten. Well, let me correct that. Kindergarten was introduced to me. They didn't know what was coming. All right. But unlike most first-timers of today, it, is quite, it was quite different. The world was in much a different state than it is now, and it reached right into our schools, and it changed our lives. We were in the midst of what the world would call the Cold War, And if you don't remember that, or were too young to remember, it was about Russia and the US in a race to see who could dominate the world with nuclear missiles. Khrushchev had vowed to bury America, and most of us believe he could do it with his nuclear arsenal. In the meantime, our schools were teaching us how to survive a nuclear missile attack by, of all things, hiding under our desks. How many remember those drills? Sirens would go off, and immediately we would put our pencils and books down, and we would duck under our desks. Today I look back at that and think, well, how foolish that would have been to believe a desk would prevent me from getting damaged by a nuclear missile attack. In 1947, Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier in an airplane for the first time. The Air Force would continue to test planes over the land for the next 20 years. Now, we just happened to live in northern Wisconsin outside one of those Air Force bases where they tested and broke the sound barrier. How many have ever heard a sonic boom? Okay, so some of you might know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, picture your loudest clap of thunder and multiply it times 10. It is quite a noise, and actually it's quite a vibration when it occurs. In fact, it became outlawed over over some of the cities because of the damage that it had caused. Birds would fall out of the sky. Um, And on that particular day in October, one particular day, my brother and I went outside to play after we'd been watching the newsreel on the missile crisis. And if you remember, that was with John F. Kennedy and and, uh, Cuba. And we went out to play in the yard on a swing set. And I remember clearly the first time that I felt the sonic boom. It knocked us off the swing set. Well, having been taught how to fear, worrying about nuclear missile attacks, I thought that a nuclear bomb had exploded in the area. So I went to duck under the closest thing I could find, which is our back porch. Now, that's not an easy feat since it was made of concrete. But uh, so we ran and we hid and we didn't know what it was until later we found out. I don't much care for the effects of fear. It's one of those emotions or feelings that if, if you allow it to, it will, it will gain way too much influence on your actions and on your thoughts. Looking back, I understand one thing. We were children that were taught to fear. It was ingrained in us. It was taught to us by our schools, by our news, by our parents. Everywhere we turned, we were being taught how to fear what might happen. From the Cold War, to nuclear fallout, to the Vietnam War, and even the Hippie Revolution. Fear was a four-letter word that we were accustomed to as our neighbor. Did you ever watch late at night, one of those old infomercials? You know, the ones that sell the the knives that'll cut through a, a broom handle with one swipe or or the magic mop that'll clean everything up and never look dirty or or the latest exercise fad. Now, Joe, you mentioned working out that all of us men are fit. Is that what you said this morning? Okay, because... I don't know that your fit and my fit are the same level, okay? <laughs> but you watch these commercials and they give you the latest fad to lose that weight. And you know, somewhere deep inside of our minds, uh, we were skeptical about those ads, okay? We really don't believe them. But if it's a new gadget, I might just go out and buy it just to see maybe it will work. And most of the times, I just add another toy to my collections of unworking infomercial objects. The too-good-to-be-true features and the amazing low prices or the money-back guarantees, they're all there. But one of the things that has taught me is, is not to trust everything I see. You're the same way? I mean, there are things that you can trust and there are things you just can't trust. And it seems to me the world is more in the motion of teaching you not to trust things I mean, look at our politics. Look at our look at our economy. Look at our you know the issue of of the um, melting polar caps. What do you trust? Joe and I were talking this morning. Can we even trust the COVID inoculations? You know, what do we trust? And we have become a bunch of people who just have a problem with trusting. All right. Well, now you get to the gist of my lesson this morning. Two opposing words that we must align properly in our Christian walk. One is the word fear. And the other one is the word trust. So let me ask you a question this morning. And be honest with yourself. Who or what do you fear? Is there some fear lurking in your, in your, in your back of your mind that, that when something happens, it it comes to the fore and begins to own you? Second question I ask: who do you trust? Are you looking for someone to trust, or are you have you gotten to the point in your life where I'm not going to trust anyone until they can prove to me without a doubt that they're sincere and they're 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 capable of being trusted? Jesus understood these two impediments, the unbelief and the fear and what it had on his disciples, And he would rebuke them openly when he saw it creep into their minds. Matthew, the 17th chapter, verse 17, he said, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And later on in Mark 16, after Jesus had come back, they were eating and Jesus appeared to the eleven and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I think Jesus understood these two words and the impact they have on the believing Christian. The world has taught us to fear and to mistrust. And so I believe in the wake of that, that many of us have a hard time believing and trusting in God's promises. David writes in Psalms 138, verse 2, I will give you thanks to your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. I love the back half of this verse because your promises are backed by the honor of your name. God has nothing to gain by deceiving us. He has nothing to gain by making us afraid of him. But we have everything to lose by not trusting him. And I know it's not always easy to trust God, especially when it feels like all chaos is breaking loose in our lives. But if you will, embrace with me this morning seven promises that God has made for us and hold on to them for dear life. Believe in them and you will begin to see your mind shift from doubt to trust. Most of you who know me know me that I'm a a can-do guy. In my younger years, I would think to myself, hey, that guy's doing that. Why can't I do that? And I would set out to accomplish in my life the the difficult things that other people were doing. And I just felt that I could do it even if I had to force myself to go through the embarrassment of, of failing or the cost of failure, whatever it is. I would force myself through that to learn to be able to do what other people were doing. I wasn't afraid to accomplish things through my own strength. Today I see things quite differently. I love the thoughts that are found in Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Paul would later write a verse that I think goes along with that. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this unveils what I believe to be one of the first promises of God. I will be your strength. Looking back over the years, I now realize that God has given me the ability to do what I can, everything that I can. It wasn't my fear of failing that accomplished it in my life. It was God's grace that filled my abilities to fight on and succeed in what I do. I was, in fact, In ignorance, accomplishing his promise in me all the while. And this is what I learned. God will never call me into something that he is not fully willing and able to support me in. Can you get a hold of that in your mind? But God is not going to move you to a position in life without being ready to back you and support you in that position. You alone may not have the strength to do things. But if you just take your focus off of yourself for a moment and put it on the source of your strength, God, you will see that all things are truly possible with Him. And when you begin to believe this promise that God is there to aid you to accomplish what you need to do in your life, fear begins to leave. Doubt ceases. Anxiety ends. And trust begins to occur. But for most of us, we get to the very edge of the precipice of that new adventure. And we get to be nervous and anxiety builds and and we say, I'm not ready for this or I can't do this. And the problem is we're not trusting in God. We're not allowing Him to help us take the next step, whatever it is, raising kids, getting married, a new job, a work of the church. All these things God planned for us from the very beginning and He is there to help us if, he, if we will just take the time to listen. And if we can believe this promise and endure it and stay with it, then we understand how Paul could say, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am in. Why? Because that's where God put me. Amen. I wonder if God got a chuckle out of watching us crawl underneath our desks for protection back in the 60s. But then I think better of this. I think it probably saddened God that in such a powerful and prosperous nation of ours, we would live in such fear. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Isn't that what God told his people in the wilderness? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. What a wonderful promise. And the neat thing about that is this is even true when I'm in my darkest places. My most tumultuous times in my life, God will not forsake me. There is a subculture within our religious belief that I wish we could let go of. And it tears apart our trust in our God. It teaches us that God abandons us when we are in sin. Or we must be good enough so that God will not leave us. That is a lie from Satan. First of all, you can never be good enough to merit God's presence, amen? We cannot be good enough in our lives. That is what Calvary is all about. This is the love he promises us and our second promise. He says, I will never leave you. I'm not one to call God a liar, and I hope you're not either. Yet when we doubt the presence of God in our lives, even during the difficult times, are we not secretly believing this, that we can't trust God? You mean even when I'm at my worst, when I'm angry, and when I'm in the midst of sin? So I have to ask you the question, what does the word never mean? Are you greater than God's promise to you? I can rest assured, you can rest assured that God is with us all the time, even when we might not feel his presence. Paul reminds the Corinthian church that even in their toughest times, God is working for their benefits. Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I am thankful for that promise. I have banked my life on that promise so many times that God would assist me in my temptations. My question to you, do you believe the promise? Or are you allowing fear and mistrust to guide your thoughts in your life? So I already had mentioned, I was raised with the idea that my future and success were mine to control. Well, that's the American dream, isn't it? You can become all you want to be. And we bought that dream, didn't we? We could accomplish anything we wanted to if we just set our mind and our heart on it. But you know what happens? People become so busy in dreaming the American dream, fantasizing about what they could be or have a right to be, maybe, that they fall asleep at the switch. They miss the issues that are really important. In other words, while climbing the hill of our own success, we are denying God the opportunity to work His success in our lives. But I want to be at the top of the corporate ladder. But where does God want you to be? I want to do this in my life. Well, where does God want you to be? And we feel success is based upon the things we've accomplished. I want to readdress that. Our success is based upon allowing God to achieve in our lives what he set out to do. And we need to rearrange our lives as necessary to accomplish that. And that's tough because it means I have to rely on him and I have to put me in the background. You see, consequently, because of that attitude, we are living in the age of human error. Look what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God did not create you just to leave you to live a mediocre life, but he also did not create you to run your own show. This is the promise I love is that God has plans to prosper us. His plans for you were formed from the very beginning of time. Yet we continue to live as though everything is up to us. His plans offer hope and a future. Yet we go on making our life choices without even talking to Him. We buy and sell. We win and fail, and in both situations we do not consult the one who has planned our success long before we were even born. Now, I may not be describing your situation in life, but I will bet that the majority of us have things planned this week that we have not talked to God about. We need to ask ourselves, why would I even dare to neglect consulting the one who holds my future in his hands? So if you have not made it a practice to talk with God and things about current issues in your future, don't get too distressed. You can start out right now. You see the promises to us at any point in our lives. Look at what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the gore, lo, love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. This is one promise that we can believe in and take to the bank if we're willing to trust it. I think my wife will uh, pay attention to this one. You're not listening to me. That's what I yelled to her from the easy chair. You're not listening to me. And maybe that's the same echo we have in our other homes here this morning. I was frustrated and angry that she had heard my words but paid no attention to them at all. Guys, ever, ever had that happen? Am I the only one? (laughs) Ladies, has that ever happened to you? (laughs) Marriage gets that way sometimes, doesn't it, folks? We say things that go unnoticed, and to be fair and honest, a lot of times my quick agreement with her is my easy and quick way of saying, I'm really not up to having an in-depth conversation with you. I'll just shake my head yes and agree, and I think I get away with it, it always comes back to haunt me. Well, I told you that the other day, and I said, no, you didn't, you go, yes, I did, and now we start, okay? You know, sometimes I think we do the same thing with God. Over my life, I've listened to many public prayers that are given in worship or during study times. So many repetitions. Do we really mean what we are saying or are we just going through the motions? I'll leave that up to you to decide. I wonder, though, what would happen if God would say to us, you know, I'm pretty busy right now. And I'm really not up to having an in-depth conversation with you, so you just go keep on talking, and I'll take care of my business over here. How would we feel if God had done that to us? Or God did that to us? Jesus promised us in John 14, 13 through 14, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And what does he say? I will what? I will do it. I'm thankful that God hears our prayers. Every one of them. God promised that if we ask anything that is in line with the character of God and His purpose, He will answer it. What a wonderful promise. Now, I don't know how He does that. I don't know when He will do it but I do know he will answer my prayer. I don't know how he can answer so many prayers at the same time, but I know he's been doing this throughout history, so he's got to be pretty good at this point, wouldn't you think? So the next time I talk to God, I can be assured he's always listening and that he's always ready for an in-depth discussion. James chapter 1, verse 6 declares... If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally. by the way, that's all of us, all men. none of you are excluded from that, and without finding fault, and it shall be given him. But let me ask, let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed or let that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So I guess the question is then, if God is listening to my prayers, am I believing it? Do I have trust in it? My high school education consisted of two major categories. The first was my educational studies, and you're going to find it hard to believe on the second one. The second was my ability to defend myself. By my senior year, I had become quite a hardened grappler, a fist fighter to be feared. I knew that I could whip anyone, anyone who stood in my way or caused me grief. Life had taught me the hard-set rules of the jungle, and I prided myself in being tough and winning. Life had taught me to stand on my own, no reliance on anyone. I was ready to face the world, to take it on, -on one-on-one. Or so I thought. In Exodus, the 14th chapter, the children of Israel are stuck between Pharaoh's pursuing army and the sea, and they're crying out, Why did you bring us here to die at the hand of Pharaoh? And on the eve of what could have been their last day of life, Moses lets the children of Israel in on a little-known secret about God. And he tells them, The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just be easy. The Lord is about to show you something. And having grown up fighting, bruises on my knuckles, broken bones in my my hands, I love the idea that someone else will fight for me in my life. I don't care to do it anymore. There was no gain in it. But in this particular battle, we have an advocate who fights for us. I wonder about that day when Moses made that claim to the people. How many of the Israelites believed what Moses had said? You see, it's kind of hard to conceive a God fighting for us, an invisible force taking on our battles, especially when you're nose-to-nose with the enemy. Israelites had no inkling of what was about to happen in their lives. In just a few short hours, they'd be walking across a dry riverbed, between two walls of water, escaping the army of Pharaoh. But that wasn't enough. As they cleared the the sea and they looked back, they saw Pharaoh's army chasing them once again. Imagine their amazement when they saw the walls of water come down and drowning Pharaoh's army. And I'll have to admit today I struggle with thoughts of how is God going to win this one for me? But I do believe with all my heart that just like the Lord fought for the Israelites, he has promised that he will fight for you and me. James identifies this action in God in James, the fourth chapter. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I hope I never think that I'm so strong as to make the devil flee from me. I think that's ego. God is my shield and my defender. We sang this song this morning. Thank you, Wayne, for leading that song. He is the source of Satan's retreat in my life, not me. And even during the times that he calls for you and me to take action, there will be times when he asks you to fight, to stand up and be heard. He still is the one giving the strategy and he is still the one fighting through you. I hope that you can believe in this promise because it changes lives when we see God fighting for us as it did with the Israelites. We call it anxiety, a feeling of worry nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. How many of you have struggled with anxiety in your life? Be honest now. I have. Okay. I don't think there's one of you in here that hasn't at some time or another. Let's be real honest. Okay. One in 13 globally suffer from anxiety. The WHO reports that anxiety disorders are the most common mental disorder worldwide anxiety. Well if you too suffer from this terrible nightmare then this next promise is for you. It is the same promise that was given to David when he was left or Daniel when he was left alone to die in the lion's den. It was the same promise given to the apostles who woke up in the midst of the storm in the boat and it is the same as it was then for us today. John 14:27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. God has promised through his son to give us peace. Our Lord Jesus gave us his peace before he departed. This peace is not something you have to earn or even possibly pray for. It is yours. Receive if you will seek it. Isn't that what 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12 says? Whoever would love life and see good days and must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This promise of peace is the one that we can take the toughest fighters and change them from the inside out. Myself, maybe. It will convict the egocentric to stop relying on self and rely on the peace giver. It will calm the storms and allow God to fight our battles for us. What a wonderful promise we have in this world of chaos to have a gift of peace from our God. Finally, promise number seven. I get up early in the morning. It's quiet. It's early. My coffee is hot. I like hot coffee in the morning. The sky is still black. The world is still asleep. And the day is coming. I know it. Just like every other day before. In a few moments it will arrive. It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun. And the stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of the human race. The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. And because of Calvary, I'm free to choose. And so I choose. I choose to let God be my strength today. I am not fit to stand alone. I choose to let God into my affairs and my thoughts. I am not capable to handle the day without him. I choose to follow the path that God has laid out for me, for I am not wise enough to make this decision on my own. I choose to believe God hears my prayers. It's very possible He's the only one listening to me. I choose to let God fight my battles. I have enough bruises of my own. I choose to accept the peace of God for my anxiety has done enough damage in my heart and soul. And I choose to love For no occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love today. I will love God and what God loves. I do this because he promised to always love me. To show his greatness and love, he came to us, lived amongst us, and died at Calvary. So when I'm trying to do things on my own, he still loves me. When I want to be left alone, he still loves me. When I choose my own destructive ways, he loves me. When I refuse to talk to him, he still loves me. He loves me when my will for my own life overrides his for me and he loves me when i allow anxiety to bury my day in worry and in fear in this the love of god was made manifest among us that god sent his only son into the world so that we might not live through him so we might live through him and this is love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins all the promises that God ever made to me, this is the most powerful and my favorite that He will always love me, to love me in spite of who I am. So take a look at these seven promises this morning. Is our God not great? Amen. In closing this morning, let me give you two more quick promises, and the lesson is yours. Two verses. One was read this morning and I took this out of it to see if I didn't put the whole thing down. Isaiah forty three thirteen. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand, says the Lord. No one can undo what I have done. This is a promise from God. And I will count on that through eternity. And secondly, I love what Paul writes, we all began something in Christ. We all started our walk with Christ. And I am happy to allow God to finish it in me. As Paul wrote, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. These promises and many more are available to you for the taking Dive into His Word today. Look at these promises. Study them and believe in them. And discover them, how they work in your life. Embrace one of them. Embrace all of them. It's your choice. The waters of baptism are open this morning. If you have not put Christ on in baptism, these promises have not been given to you. So I pray that you'll consider that. Have you been to Jesus? That's the question. Let's stand and sing.